Section 26 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders. Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 5. Rejection and Protest, an Historical Sketch, Part 3. World War II. During World War II, Negroes learned again that fighting for their country brought them no nearer to full citizenship. Rejected when they tried to enlist, they were accepted into the army according to the proportion of the Negro population to that of the country as a whole, but only in separate units, and those mostly non-combat. The United States thus fought racism in Europe with a segregated fighting force. The Red Cross, with the government's approval, separated Negro and white blood in banks established for wounded servicemen, even though the blood banks were largely the work of a Negro physician, Charles Drew. Not until 1949 would the armed forces begin to adopt a firm policy against segregation. Negroes seeking employment in defense industries were embittered by policies like that of a West Coast aviation factory, which declared openly that the Negro will be considered only as janitors and in other similar capacities. Regardless of their training as aircraft workers, we will not employ them. Two new movements marked Negro protest, the March on Washington and the Congress of Racial Equality, Corps. In 1941, consciously drawing on the power of the Negro vote and concerned with the economic problems of the urban slum-dweller, A. Philip Randolph threatened a mass Negro convergence on Washington unless President Roosevelt secured employment for Negroes in the defense industries. The President's Executive Order 8802, establishing a Federal Fair Employment Practices Commission, forestalled the demonstration. Even without enforcement powers, the FEPC set a precedent for treating fair employment practice as a civil right. CORE was founded in 1942-43, when certain leaders of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, a pacifist organization, became interested in the use of nonviolent direct action to fight racial discrimination. CORE combined Gandhi's techniques with the sit-in, derived from the sit-down strikes of the 1930s. Until about 1959, CORE's main activity was attacking discrimination in places of public accommodation in the cities of the northern and border states and as late as 1961, two-thirds of its membership and most of its national officers were white. Meanwhile, wartime racial disorders had broken out sporadically in Mobile, Los Angeles, Beaumont, Texas, and elsewhere. The riot in Detroit in 1943 was the most destructive. The Negro population in the city had risen sharply, and more than 50,000 recent arrivals put immense pressures on the housing market. Neighborhood turnover at the edge of the ghetto bred bitterness and sometimes violence, and recreational areas became centers of racial abrasion. The federal regulations requiring employment standards in defense industries also angered whites, 
and several unauthorized walkouts had occurred in automobile plants after negro workers were upgraded activities in the city of several leading spokesmen for white supremacy gerald l k smith frank j norris and father charles coughlin inflamed many white southerners who had migrated to detroit during the war on sunday june twentieth rioting broke out on belle isle a recreational spot used by both races but predominantly by negroes fistfights escalated into a major conflict the first wave of looting and bloodshed began in the negro ghetto paradise valley and later spread to other sections of the city whites began attacking negroes as they emerged from the city's all-night movie theaters in the downtown area white forays into negro residential areas by car were met by gunfire by the time federal troops arrived to halt the racial conflict twenty-five negroes and nine whites were dead property damage exceeded two million dollars and a legacy of fear and hate descended on the city again in nineteen forty three a riot erupted in harlem new york following the attempt of a white policeman to arrest a negro woman who was defended by a negro soldier negro rioters assaulted white passers-by overturned parked automobiles tossed bricks and bottles at policemen the major emphasis was on destroying property looting and burning stores six persons died over five hundred were injured and more than one hundred were jailed the post-war period white opinion in some quarters of america had begun to shift to a more sympathetic regard for negroes during the new deal and the war had accelerated that movement thoughtful whites had been painfully aware of the contradiction in opposing nazi racial philosophy with racially segregated military units in the post-war years american racial attitudes became more liberal as new non-white nations emerged in asia and africa and took increasing responsibilities in international councils against this background the growing size of the northern negro vote made civil rights a major issue in national elections and ultimately in nineteen fifty seven led to the establishment of the federal civil rights commission which had the power to investigate discriminatory conditions throughout the country and to recommend corrective measures to the president northern and western states outlawed discrimination in employment housing and public accommodations while the naacp in successive court victories won judgments against racially restrictive covenants in housing segregation in interstate transportation and discrimination in publicly owned recreational facilities the naacp helped register voters and in nineteen fifty four brown v board of education became the triumphant climax of the naacp's campaign against educational segregation in the public schools of the south corps which had been conducting demonstrations in the border states its major focus on public accommodations began experimenting with direct action techniques to open employment opportunities in 1947, in conjunction with the Fellowship of Reconciliation, Corps conducted a journey of reconciliation, what would later be called a freedom ride, 
in the states of the upper south to test compliance with the supreme court decision outlawing segregation on interstate buses the resistance met by the riders in some areas and the sentencing of two of them to thirty days on a north carolina road gang dramatized the gap between american democratic theory and practice the montgomery alabama bus boycott of nineteen fifty five fifty six captured the imagination of the nation and of the negro community in particular and led to the growing use of direct action techniques it catapulted into national prominence the rev martin luther king jr who like the founders of corps held to a gandhian belief in the principles of pacifism even before a court decision obtained by naacp attorneys in november nineteen fifty six desegregated the montgomery buses a similar movement had started in tallahassee florida afterward another one developed in birmingham alabama in nineteen fifty seven the tuskegee negroes undertook a three-year boycott of local merchants after the state legislature gerrymandered nearly all of the negro voters outside of the town's boundaries in response to a lawsuit filed by the naacp the supreme court ruled the tuskegee gerrymander illegal these events were widely heralded the new negro had now emerged in the south militant no longer fearful of white hoodlums or mobs and ready to use his collective strength to achieve his ends in this mood king established the southern christian leadership conference in nineteen fifty seven to coordinate direct action activities in southern cities nonviolent direct action attained popularity not only because of the effectiveness of king's leadership but because the older techniques of legal and legislative action had had limited success impressive as the advances in the fifteen years after world war ii were in spite of state laws and supreme court decisions something was still clearly wrong negroes remained disenfranchised in most of the south though in the twelve years following the outlawing of the white primary in nineteen forty four the number of negroes registered in southern states had risen from about two hundred fifty thousand to nearly a million and a quarter supreme court decisions desegregating transportation facilities were still being largely ignored in the south discrimination in employment and housing continued not only in the south but also in northern states with model civil rights laws the negro unemployment rate steadily moved upward after nineteen fifty four the south reacted to the supreme court's decision on school desegregation by attempting to outlaw the naacp intimidating civil rights leaders calling for massive resistance to the court's decision curtailing negro voter registration and forming white citizens councils revolution of rising expectations at the same time negro attitudes were changing in what has been described as a revolution in expectations negroes were gaining a new sense of self-respect and a new self-image as a result of the civil rights movement and their own advancement king and others were demonstrating that nonviolent direct action could succeed in the south new laws and court decisions and the increasing support of white public opinion 
gave american negroes a new confidence in the future negroes no longer felt that they had to accept the humiliations of second-class citizenship ironically it was the very successes in the legislatures and the courts that more perhaps than any other single factor led to intensified negro expectations and resulting dissatisfaction with the limitations of legal and legislative programs increasing negro impatience accounted for the rising tempo of nonviolent direct action in the late nineteen fifties culminating in the student sit-ins of nineteen sixty and the inauguration of what is popularly known as the civil rights revolution or the negro revolt many believe that the montgomery boycott ushered in this negro revolt and there is no doubt that in its importance by projecting the image of king and his techniques it had great importance but the decisive break with traditional techniques came with the college student sit-ins that swept the south in the winter and spring of nineteen sixty in dozens of communities in the upper south the atlantic coastal states and texas student demonstrations secured the desegregation of lunch counters in drug and variety stores arrests were numbered in the thousands and brutality was evident in scores of communities in the deep south the campaign ended in failure even in instances where hundreds had been arrested as in montgomery orangeburg south carolina and baton rouge but the youth had captured the imagination of the negro community and to a remarkable extent of the whole nation student involvement the negro protest movement would never be the same again the southern college students shook the power structure of the negro community made direct action temporarily preeminent as a civil rights tactic speeded up the process of social change in race relations and ultimately turned the negro protest organizations toward a deep concern with the economic and social problems of the masses involved in this was a gradual shift in both tactics and goals from legal to direct action from middle and upper class to mass action from attempts to guarantee the negro's constitutional rights to efforts to secure economic policies giving him equality of opportunity from appeals to the sense of fair play of white americans to demands based upon power in the black ghetto the successes of the student movement threatened existing negro leadership and precipitated a spirited rivalry among civil rights organizations the naacp and sclc associated themselves with the student movement the organizing meeting of the student nonviolent coordinating committee sncc at raleigh north carolina in april nineteen sixty was called by martin luther king but within a year the youth considered king too cautious and broke with him the naacp now decided to make direct action a major part of its strategy and organized and reactivated college and youth chapters in the southern and border states corps still unknown to the general public installed james farmer as national director in january nineteen sixty one and that spring joined the front rank of civil rights organizations with the famous freedom ride to alabama and mississippi that dramatized the persistence of segregated public transportation 
a bus burning resulted in alabama hundreds of demonstrators spent a month or more in mississippi prisons finally a new order from the interstate commerce commission desegregating all interstate transportation facilities received partial compliance organizational differences disagreement over strategy and tactics inevitably became intertwined with personal and organizational rivalries each civil rights group felt the need for proper credit in order to obtain the prestige and financial contributions necessary to maintain and expand its own programs. The local and national, individual and organizational clashes stimulated competition and activity that further accelerated the pace of social change. Yet there were differences in style. CORE was the most interracial, SCLC appeared to be the most deliberate. SNCC staff workers lived on subsistence allowances and seemed to regard going to jail as a way of life. The NAACP continued the most varied programs, retaining a strong emphasis on court litigation, maintaining a highly effective lobby at the nation's capital, and engaging in direct action campaigns. The National Urban League, under the leadership of Whitney M. Young, Jr., appointed executive director in 1961, became more outspoken and talked more firmly to businessmen who had previously been treated with utmost tact and caution. The role of whites in the protest movement gradually changed. Instead of occupying positions of leadership, they found themselves relegated to the role of followers— Whites were likely to be suspect in the activist organizations. Negroes had come to feel less dependent on whites, more confident of their own power, and they demanded that their leaders be black. The NAACP had long since acquired Negro leadership, but continued to welcome white liberal support. SCLC and SNCC were from the start Negro-led and Negro-dominated, Corps became predominantly Negro as it expanded in 1962 and 1963. Today all executives are Negro, and a constitutional amendment adopted in 1965 officially limited white leadership in the chapters. A major factor intensifying the civil rights movement was widespread Negro unemployment and poverty, an important force in awakening Negro protest was the meteoric rise to national prominence of the black Muslims, established around 1930. The organization reached the peak of its influence when more progress toward equal rights was being made than ever before in American history, while at the same time the poorest groups in the urban ghettos were stagnating. The black Muslims preached a vision of the doom of the white devils and the coming dominance of the black man, promised a utopian paradise of a separate territory within the United States for a Negro state, and offered a practical program of building Negro business through hard work, thrift, and racial unity. To those willing to submit to the rigid discipline of the movement, the black Muslims' organization gave a sense of purpose and dignity. End of section 26. Recording by Maria Casper.